hyperfixated. Every other week, we dive deep into the things we love and often obsess over. So grab your wiki articles, your caffeine beverage of choice, and scratch that brain itch with your hosts, Sean and Sergio. Hey, zombies. Hey, zombets. And you undead that don't give a fuck. This is Hyperfixated. My name is Sergio. And mine is Sean. We hope you're doing well out there, out in podcast land. How are you doing, Sean? I am so good, and I am so excited for this episode. This was a fun one. We discussed the Resident Evil movies, the the six of them. We discussed the six live-action movies that have been made so far. There is actually a seventh in production. But just how, like, kind of fucking bonkers insane they are, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are, they're like that kid in high school who got made fun of a lot but well is like 100 true to themselves and when you get older you're like you know what fucking good for that guy dude yeah it's like yeah he's like, he's that kid who like wore a cape to school and at the time you're like who is this fucking kid think he is wearing a goddamn cloak to high school and then now you're in your 30s and you're like that motherfucker is the bravest man i've ever known yeah just tonally different from the video games that we discussed in episode one, almost in every in every sense. Yeah, I mean, there there are some nods toward the the game continuity in terms of characters coming over certain uh, monster designs, but um, I'd say they're definitely at, even at their most faithful, they're still a remix of the original formula rather than you know a cover. I mean, I don't even know if remix takes it far enough. Okay, maybe a mashup. <laughs> Not even a, I, I mean, it's almost as if they, it's like a sample. Sampling. There we go. It's like they took a beat from the video games and then it's kind of like, dun, 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 dun. It's like, it's, it's there <laughs> barely, but just enough that you can recognize it. Right. Like we said, we're discussing the movies this episode. We're so glad that you joined us again. Uh, once again, though, if you would like to win a copy of Resident Evil 8 Village on the platform of your choice, we will be giving one away at the end of this arc. All you have to do is follow us on twitter our handle is at hyperfixatedpod and use the hashtag hyperfixatedpodcast shoot out a tweet and you'll be entered everyone who is a follower and uses that hashtag will be entered to win and perhaps it will be you yeah and i've um i started playing the game just last night i'm about an hour in and if you're a fan of the series you definitely want to play this game so here's a chance to get it for zero dollars and zero cents it's been pretty well received reviews have been pretty great i listened to the Resident Evil podcast, probably the best known fan podcast out there. And the, the whole gang there loves it, thinks it's a fantastic addition to the series and are very excited to see where it goes moving forward, both in terms of the gameplay and in terms of the lore which is a huge reason why Resident Evil has been so popular for 25 years. Oh, speaking of the 25th anniversary, the June 2021 chapter of Dead by Daylight is going to be Resident Evil themed. I'm very excited about this. You, you're you're sort of the bigger of the Dead by Daylight players of the two of us. I, I mostly just play with you and a couple of our other friends, but this, this is DLC I will buy as soon as it's available. Yeah, we fuck with Dead by Daylight for sure. And yeah, this is going to be fun. I just, I'm curious to know who 
the killer and who the survivor will be. Yeah, like, do you think it'll be like more like the classic iconic characters like Nemesis? Or do you think like maybe um, like the dad from Seven or something? I mean, he's a pretty fucking scary killer. I don't know. That's the thing. There's quite a bit of choices to pick from. Yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to see what they decide to do with it. Thank you for joining us again. Listen to us gab about the movies. Please follow us on Twitter and use that hashtag hyperfixated podcast to win yourself a copy of the game. So let's go ahead and get started. Hyperfixated. There are six Resident Evil movies, uh, one that is currently uh, in post-production to be released later on in 2021. How many of these movies did you watch in the first run when they first came out? None. I want to say that I'm the same way. I don't remember seeing any of these in the theater. And it might be a testament to, I mean, I, I was a pretty big Resident Evil fan. I had the original PlayStation. I had the first two games for sure. And by the time Resident Evil 4 came out, I think there was already one or two of the movies had been released. And I was a huge fan of 4 at the time, but I don't remember actually making my way to the movie theater to watch these movies. It's interesting because the the first one came out at a point when you and I were going to see just about every big movie that came out. We would have had to have made a point not to go see it almost. You know what I mean? Like in that 2001-2002 window, like, well, you might have been been moving to Denton by then so it might have had something to do with it um, since we weren't in the same place we weren't always going to the movies together anymore even then I mean like you said we were young adults we had a lot of disposable income and we like you said we were, were at the movie theater at least once a month maybe even twice or three times a month and yeah we made it a point to almost watch like every sort of like tentpole movie especially something as big of a franchise as Resident Evil was and as big of zombie fans as I was for sure I'm just surprised I never I never went out and saw that i mean maybe it was the fact that they didn't look very good yeah it didn't look like so i hadn't played any of the games by the time the first movie came out the the, my entry was four uh, which i didn't play till 2006 so by then i think they're up to movie number three and the the covers of the dvds looked like nothing like the game that i had played so my, my impression from the outside was this has nothing to do with the games that i'm playing i think also by then we were pretty well aware of video game movies having a bit of a, a stink on them. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a stink that doesn't rub off. No, no. I, I mean, well... It's all Super Mario Bros fault. Damn <laughs> you, Dennis Hoskins and John Leguizamo. Bob Hoskins. And Dennis Hoskins. Is there... No, yeah. I'm thinking of Dennis Hopkins. <laughs> Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper. I'm thinking of all sorts of different people. There, there, sure are, all, there are Dennis, so many people to blame. I'm sure there's Mario a Dennis Bros. Hoskins out there and sir, if you're listening, I apologize for besmirching your good name, but... I, so that I mean that's a good point that you bring up. The movies didn't seem at all like the video games they were based on. And now having watched them, we can say undoubtedly that's motherfucking true. Yeah, yeah. But what's interesting is that they eventually start bringing in more elements from the games. Like the first movie definitely feels like 90 style fan service where like it's enough to just hear the name of the Nemesis program or the Umbrella Corporation. And that's all you get. But it, like they said it in a resume 
evil movie. Oh my fucking God. You know, and, and you see that sort of fan service sort of transform across the arc of the series to where they start bringing in actual characters from the games and, you know, repurposing them and doing very different things with them, but also like playing with the, the iconography of the, of the series uh, more directly. It seems like the main creative force behind these movies is Paul W.S. Anderson. He directed the first one and I think the last three and wrote almost all of them, I believe. Yes. Yeah, I think he's got a screenwriting credit on all six. It seems like somebody went up to Paul W.S. Anderson and said, hey, we want you to make this movie. It's about this evil corporation that has created a virus that turns people into zombies. And he goes, okay, cool. I got it. <laughs> like, well, no, but also, no, I got it. Got it. Gotcha. I have it. Consider it done. <laughs> And because that's pretty much the only connections that the movies have with the games. You have the Umbrella Corporation, you have the T-Virus that reanimates the dead and turns them into zombie-like creatures. Yep. Besides that, they you know the, the main character you know from the movies, Mila Jovovich's character, Alice, is completely homegrown, not from the video games at all. And beyond that, like you said, they'll name drop stuff. Like at the end of the first movie, they ha- there's a line that says, I want him for the Nemesis program. And have you know, Nemesis Resident Evil 3 Nemesis already being out. You're like, oh shit, they're gonna do Nemesis. Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, but besides that, you know, there's no connections. You you'll have characters like Chris and Claire and Jill Valentine and Leon Kennedy, but especially in the case of like Kennedy, these characters really don't act or are similar to their video game counterparts in many and, and, respects. Yeah, yeah. I'd say Claire is the one that seems the closest. Uh, Ali Larder's Claire kind of has the same energy that I had picked up on in the games that I played. But otherwise, yeah, Jill and Chris don't really. And Leon, especially. Leon, you referred to him as a low-rent Jamie Lannister. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the actor who played Leon Kennedy in the movies. It just kind of looks like this like really scuzzy version of the guy who played Jamie Lannister. Yeah, and is is really Leon in name only. I think they did a little, I think he's the most egregious, but maybe I'm prejudiced because I'm so fond of him from uh, the remake of 2 and then 4. I have a big soft spot for that character, so seeing him as sort of just like a shitty Han Solo is <laughs> just like... <laughs> No, thank you. Like, yeah, somebody who who doesn't get the Han Solo character trying to write a Han Solo type character. (laughs) So the first movie, for like the first maybe 40 minutes, there there are no zombies for almost the entire first half of the movie. And for the first 40 minutes or so, it seems like this weird sci-fi killer AI like gone wrong. The the Red Queen. Do we actually see her that early on or is it not until? Okay. I believe so. 40 minutes in, almost like on the dot that we finally see a zombie and it sort of becomes like a Resident Evil movie in the sense of like what what you would expect of having played the games. You've got Michelle Rodriguez in it pre-Fast and the Furious. So mm-hmm. And pre-Lost. She's known at the time. She's done some other stuff, but she's not as, as popular as she would come to be. And then beyond that, there's not really anyone. And obviously Mila Jovovich, who is, you know, is famous from Fifth, Fifth Element. Element. And But beyond that, there's not really any star power behind it. You have a reference to the Nemesis program. Yep. And that leads into the second movie in which Nemesis shows up. It's Nemesis is a transformed version of one of the characters from the first movie. Right. 
and but the other the other good guy the one you're rooting for yes yeah so alice and this guy they they both survive the experience they survive the mansion um he ends up being captured they're they're both captured and separated that's right they're both captured they're both separated he becomes nemesis i guess she trauma bonds with him and in the second yeah. movie she that's why she, she's hesitant to to kill him because she realizes what he is and she looks into his eyes and and that that's nothing like the the nemesis from the games but i thought that was a really nice touch actually in the movie to actually give that fight some um some weight other than just hey let's survive like this person that you know i went through the worst day of my well the second worst day of my life with uh and now i have to kill him or uh this other dude's gonna gun down all these people he's already killed the guy in the wheelchair so like i better get my shit together and kill this guy and giving nemesis an actual like arc too because you also see him like somehow somehow the the nemesis has terminator vision like with a with a <laughs> with a readout in his eyes um and like you see him killing members of the stars team and then leaving um the mike epps character alone because he's not stars well he yeah he's not stars he has a gun mike epps character he drops it like hey like like not that his terminator vision says like you know not a threat so he just lets him go um speaking of that mike epps character he ends up he stays around for the third movie and ends up getting bit by a zombie and then not telling anybody yeah which i thought was a pretty shitty thing <laughs> like it's a pretty like just terrible writing on on anderson's part for that character you think so well i mean it makes me think that he's like not a good guy and the entire all of two i was rooting he was sort of kind of comic relief yeah and then by the third one like oh he's still around he's cool like and he's kind of a badass and he's sort and, of the stereotypical like black character who survives who you know like always has the wisecrack like the the homespun wisdom while the white people are you know taking it too seriously so yeah so i the stereotypes aside like i grew to like that character yeah yeah and I like, he, and i'm a fan of mike epps as well and he, so he sells it yeah and it's just <laughs> so and he got bit didn't tell anybody i was like well that's sort of like a a, a bad turn for a character who for all intents and purposes seemed like a good guy and now he's well, gonna put everyone at jeopardy i see i didn't think of it as a i guess and maybe i'm just too forgiving maybe i'm, I'm outing myself as a, as an easy mark here but i just saw him as really scared you know like in um the the James Gunn Snyder Dawn of the Dead when Mackay Pfeiffer's baby mama gets bit and then like he hides that because he just he can't give her up you know uh, even though the baby is born a zombie and I, I so I sort of thought it was like that where it's like he knows but he's just so scared he can't and I doesn't he end up turning though and hurting yeah. somebody yeah yeah he, he I think he almost gets Kmart yeah so which is a it, fantastic name for a character yeah, by the way I don't know do we ever learn her real name oh, but uh but no, see, with the with the Mackay Pfeiffer character in in Dawn of the Dead I looked at it at this point you know if you get bit that's that's a wrap but he, he he's not sure about the baby the mm-hmm. baby could be fine and so he wants to keep her alive for the baby's sake and then by the time the baby is born a zombie like you know he's lost all touch with reality like that's like a psychotic break for him you know yeah yeah that's that's fair and um, so and so this just seemed a little egregious in, in, in my eyes that's fair and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a bad decision for sure. Um, and and yeah, it, it's sad whenever it's a character you like who does it. But I, I thought that actually made it um, 
that much more tragic, I guess. Well, the, I feel that the writing wasn't there for it. That's fair. I, I, I would say in a lot of cases in this series, the writing isn't. Uh, well, like in terms of we, we, the audience have to sort of grant the, the, the characters more than maybe what they've earned on screen, just because the, that's not really what the movie's about. Like they nod towards these emotional beats, but that's not really what it's about. That's a very good point. Yeah. And there's two different questions. Are these movies good? First question. Second question. Did you enjoy watching them? So the first one's really tough to answer because I mean, at an, what is the movie setting out to do? That's kind of how I try to judge whether a movie is good or bad is what goals has it set for itself and how well does it accomplish them? And I would say that these movies are unrepentantly like mid-budget B movies that just go sort of bonkers. So in that respect, I think they're successful, but I wouldn't recommend them. It wouldn't be like, oh, you have to see this movie. It would be more like, oh, you like this type of movie. You might enjoy this, but I'm not about to like whip this out when I have company over and be like, oh, you simply must watch the Resident Evil Sextet. And I, but I had a, and I had a great time watching them, but except the first one for some reason. And it's interesting because when I talked on Twitter about watching these movies, most people I talked to seem to have very fond feelings about the first one and almost no feelings about any of the sequels whereas my affection for the series grew like exponentially with each installment and I'm not sure if that's just because I was sort of getting used to the aesthetic or because the first movie feels so dated in a way because it's it's clearly the lowest budgeted of the six and most of it takes place in hallways dark hallways it's dated based on special effects the soundtrack the soundtrack to the first movie (laughs) the bands on that soundtrack they are all the bands t-shirts were being worn by the guys who like shoved us around and called us gay in high school like yep. and so <laughs> keep the listening to these uh, songs coming up and i was like oh yeah that, that that guy definitely like you know hit me in the back of the head and thought it was funny right um <laughs> but no yeah it does and in fact i think marilyn manson scored it really i didn't i didn't realize that but that, is, it makes perfect sense which is interesting because for a long time he was associated with trent reznor and and Trent Reznor eventually started doing film scores himself, except his were really good. Yeah, yeah. He's churning out masterpieces for like The Social Network and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and Watchmen. Nobody's really talking about Marilyn Manson for anything good right now. Yeah. The movies aren't, and I, yeah, I'll say it, the movies aren't very good, but they're a lot of dumb fun. Like recently, the the new Mortal Kombat movie has come out, the reboot. And that's, again, that's, that's a lot of dumb fun. You don't have to think about it a whole lot. There are still, you know, you can still critique it for sure. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's just something that you don't, you don't have to invest a whole lot of emotion into to enjoy. Yeah, I would agree 100%. And it's interesting because Paul, Th- Paul W, Paul Thomas Anderson, <laughs> somewhere he's Imagine a, a Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> Resident Evil. Resident Evil movie. <laughs> Starring uh, Daniel Day-Lewis. Sorry, and Daniel Day-Lewis and Paul Dano. Daniel Day-Lewis as Albert Wesker. Yes. And Paul Dano as Chris Redfield. (laughs) 
That's a fucking movie I would watch. I would watch the sh- look. I'll watch the shit out of anything Paul Thomas Anderson wants to make, but I would definitely show up for his Resident Evil movie. No, what I was going to say is it's interesting you bring up Mortal Kombat because Paul W. S. Anderson made the 1995 Mortal Kombat, which I would say still reigns supreme as the Citizen Kane of video game movies, like for better or worse. Not a huge like mountain to climb on that no, one. No, no. But you would think in the last 26 years that somebody would have made a video game movie that was better in terms of adapting its source material and being fun to watch for a general audience. And I'm not sure, I haven't seen every video game movie ever made. I haven't seen Rampage. So maybe Rampage does it. But Mortal Kombat, I watched again a couple of years ago and like it's dumb as fuck, but it's so much fun. And it does exactly what it sets out to do. In the Mortal Kombat reboot, there's a ton of exposition. They're saying, like, they're explaining like, you know, there's this outer realm and they have a martial arts tournament and it's called Mortal Kombat. We we have to win or else. And it's just like, I told my wife that it sounds like two guys say like, all right, cool. We got a weekend. Let's get <laughs> let's get on DoorDash, order a bunch of food, get a bunch of cocaine and just hammer this script out. Let's do it. And they get to the end of the script and they're like, oh, we forgot to put in a tournament. Ah, <laughs> oh, fuck it. We'll add it in post. Yeah, uh, that'll be the, that, that's movie two, bro. We're pitching a, a five movie arc. This is an epic. Okay? This is a career. Yeah, this is DoorDash for the rest of our days, bro. I am a member of the Resident Evil podcast Discord. And so I asked the guys and gals on there a question. Hey, do you know anyone who watched the movies first and then became a fan of the video games or subsequently played the video games and didn't enjoy them? And I had several people tell me like they had instances of both. Someone who watched the movie, hadn't played the games, watched the movies and then got into the games as a result. And I had some people say, yeah, I had I have a friend who watched the movies and prefers them to the games. And so my question is, why do you think there there was such a disconnect between what the movies are trying to do and what the games are trying to do? Because the video games, we talked about how four pivots and it becomes more action oriented as opposed to survival horror, but there's still moments of survival horror in it so that it, it's still recognizably Resident Evil. Whereas yeah. the movies, you know, you have Alice's character driving a motorcycle through a church estate stained glass window leaping off of it midair pulling two sawed off shotguns from behind her back just <laughs> blasting zombies left and right you have albert wesker with flash type speed <laughs> blurring in and out of vision, using bullet time to avoid gunshots. Why do you think there was such a a radical disconnect between what the games are and what the movies would become? Well, I think the games, for one thing, the games are like AAA games and the movies are clearly not billing themselves as AAA movies. They're not big budget. Whereas the Resident Evil games are, you know, if a Resident Evil game comes out, that's one of the year's big releases. But like a Resident Evil movie, which costs like 20 million or 30 or 40, 20, yeah, know. 20 to 40 million bucks. All combined, all six movies have a budget of nearly $300 million. Which is, I think, still less than the budget of Avengers Endgame. Like, they're an excellent return on investment. So I think that's part of it. I think also, you mentioned survival of horror, and that's that's a huge difference. Because, yeah, even in, even in the later action-y uh, installments of Resident Evil, yes, there's a lot of guns. Yes, you know, you've got more support, and you don't have to worry as much about resources 
management, but you are constantly with your back against the wall, like at least in your first playthrough, trying to save enough bullets, trying to hide. And these movies invent a character who is basically a superhero and can't die. So, you know, or if she does, she just comes back again. So you really take the threat, that horror feeling out of it altogether. And it becomes a superhero story about this savior character who keeps trying to save humanity and almost does until the last 15 minutes of the movie. You can set your watch to it. Like they're always in the last 15 minutes, at least of the first five movies, you think she's won and then Umbrella gets a hold of her again and they reset the clock and there's a new problem. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, you have to respect the fact that it's like, yeah, we're just going to keep keep doing this, like showing how futile everything Alice does is, which is sort of horrifying when you think about it. It's but, the horror of existence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's existential horror rather than just like, oh shit, I'm going to get eaten horror. Like, oh, this, this, this zombie is going to eat my brains. It's dread Nothing of Nothing I do means anything. The dread of living... <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's part of it. What about you? What do you think? I think Paul W.S. Anderson's wheelhouse is more in line with what he did. You see the elements of the games in the first movie, especially. And the first Resident Evil movie didn't do, I think it's the smallest grossing movie of, of the bunch. And I think it, it made enough money that, or at least the franchise was popular enough that like the studio's like, hey, let's, let's give it another go. And Anderson's like, okay, cool. Like, But, you know, we should change it up. We should make it more more movie friendly I guess and so like I said like it's just something you know something that he's more comfortable with you know introducing the Alice character like they did they were able to sort of like like you said make her a superhero and just sort of amp up those aspects of the story one thing I don't know if you want to touch on this yet is the um, you know the creative slash romantic partnership behind the movie Paul W.S. Anderson and Mila Jovovich met on the set of the first movie and subsequently got married had a kid put the kid in the movies yep. <laughs> and you have sort of been fascinated by uh, this relationship and as, as a result you don't even want to like dig into it because you don't want that that idea that you have in your in your head shattered yeah yeah so as somebody who is a bit on the rebound himself I love this idea of this filmmaker meeting his muse on set and like basically building an entire action franchise around her because he's so like enamored and in awe of her he turns her into the ultimate unkillable badass and like just puts that in this giant B movie epic that for better or worse, like signifies like, you know, a romance across decades. And um, I think that there's something so, you know, you read about like muses, you know, who inspired famous works, but like they also exist in the B movie spectrum, right? Like she inspired him and he turned that into work for her. And like the result is a lot of fun. And uh, I don't know, I, 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 you're right. I don't want to find out if either of them are terrible people or anything because it makes me love the movies more I'm inspired by it not in terms of I need a muse but like I would love to write that book someday a fictional version of that uh, with the version of these people I have in my head fully believe that you'd be able to do it. you'll be able to crack that code for sure but what's crazy about like you said like they're pretty low budget but they're pretty successful as I as I mentioned before they're the total budget's little less than 300 million but they've grossed over a billion dollars worldwide and we looked at the domestic and uh, worldwide grosses and especially Especially in the, in the last three, the worldwide gross is two to three times more than domestic. And I remember also on the, the Resident Evil podcast discord,
Discord, some people were saying that, you know, they made these movies made all this money, but they said, for the life of me, I, I couldn't tell you anyone who's actually seen the movie. And that's because they're all overseas, apparently. <laughs> They're all in other countries. Yeah, I, well, action movies and tend to do well overseas because they aren't um, maybe as nuanced in the performances and stuff. You know, you don't have to be as familiar with the way a culture works to understand, you know, like for a domestic drama, that's a tougher sell overseas because, you know, there could be differences in the way. I mean, like you watch an old Kurosawa movie, right? And like all the samurai are just yelling at each other and they all seem so angry even when they're not. And it's a completely different vibe than like a cowboy movie from the same period. But, you know, when the swords come out or the guns come out, suddenly everybody understands what's happening. So I think that really helps because they are a lot of fun to watch. And because they are, forgive me for saying so, sort of light on story, um, they're not hard to follow. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to come after you for that. <laughs> even even if Paul W. Wes Anderson were to hear that, he'd probably just shrug his shoulders and say, that's fair. That's a fair criticism. Yeah, oh, look, I, uh, it turns out I'm a fan Apparently, I, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed these movies. I love Mortal Kombat and uh, I just bought the Blu-ray of uh, Event Horizon after you and I were talking about it. Nice. We should do that as a movie night. Um, For sure. So yeah, the, the movies are a lot of dumb fun. Yes. They, they seem like the perfect movie. It's Saturday afternoon. It's pouring down rain. There's nothing you can't, even if you're a, if you're a kid, if you're a teenager or a kid, you know, you can't go outside and play. If you're an adult, you can't really go out adulting, you know, you don't want to brave going to Home Depot or Bed Bath & Beyond because of the weather. And so you just sit at home and start flipping through the channels and trying to see what's on. And you catch this movie, like, oh, Resident Evil 4 Retribution or Vengeance or whatever the fuck this, right. <laughs> whatever the subtitles are called. Oh, yeah, like, sure, I'll watch this. And then you, you catch it like maybe 20, 30 minutes in and you watch it for another hour, hour and a half. And you just turn your brain off and just like laugh at the ridiculousness of it all. Do you think that, and I, I didn't do extensive research on the background of the movies but do you think they avoided the numbering conventions deliberately so that like people wouldn't be like oh well I missed four so I can't see five I absolutely think that because each movie starts off with a recap of the series up to that point Alice doing a voiceover it seems like it might be like the same one except they just add on what happened in the last <laughs> movie to it for the subsequent movie but I think that's absolutely true I think like obviously they it tells like one long story but yeah you can jump into the third one without having watched the first two one because of the recap and two because like you said it's so light on story you can dive in and and not be the worst for it yeah yeah it's and i you know i actually that's one of the things i respect about the movies is that they um i remember seeing an interview with james cameron once uh where he's talking about terminator 2 and he said one of his big rules for sequels is you shouldn't have to have to have seen the original to enjoy the sequel and in its own way this series is doing exactly that like it, you know it it seems like it's sort of continuing an arc for people who are paying attention but it's mainly designed to just entertain in the moment yeah and that's the thing and that was another point that i made before i realized that a lot of the gross was overseas that these movies are easily forgettable you can watch one and be entertained like you said in the moment and then forget all about it right after it's done the movies against all better judgment i give them a thumbs up they're just flat out dumb fun 
if you are looking for something with any sort of substance to it, keep on going down the road. But if you want to be entertained in the moment for an hour and a half to two hours, put in put in any any of them. Any of them are fine. Any of them will do. They're, yeah. all, they're all about the same. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, you know, like we've sort of entered an age and I, I don't want to blame Christopher Nolan for it. I, I think it's been a general cultural shift. And also I love Christopher Nolan movies, but we've sort of come into this era of the self-important blockbuster. And I, I, I feel like that it, as much as I, I love tentpole movies, I also appreciate something with more modest goals that just does what it's supposed to do and then doesn't expect me to treat it as a holy writ. And I don't know that, you know, I think a lot of that stuff now probably goes to Netflix or Prime or whatever, rather than to theaters, but which makes it harder to track down, honestly. But I appreciated that about these movies, like that they weren't, they didn't ask a lot of me and they mostly gave. <laughs> Yeah, they're like that perfect rebound uh, yeah. partner. Like you, you're you, you're in a relationship. It's you know you get knocked around a bit. You break up, and then you start dating someone who's just is nice and fun. And you're not going to end up with this person because you're not emotionally ready for that. But you know you you do have some fun, and then and you look back, you're like, man, that I was I was glad for it. I'm just, yeah, I'm a, better for it. I'm better for it. <laughs> that's that's uh, definitely something. Hyper fixated. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our take on the Resident Evil sextant. Is that what it's called? Sextant? Sextant. Sextant is when you've got an erection. A sextant is a pretty awesome camping trip. Yeah. But. I'm sorry. We're going. Regardless of what it's called, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, once again, we want to mention our Resident Evil 8 Village giveaway. Just follow us on Twitter at HyperFixatedPod and use the hashtag HyperFixatedPodcast when sending out a tweet and you'll automatically be entered. One entry per Twitter handle. So you can't just spam the timeline with it. But if you want to create multiple handles, I'm not going to stop you. If you want to go through all that trouble to win a video game from us, by all means, go ahead. We love you for it. Right, right. All you're doing is boost our numbers so it means we don't have to pay a firm in another country to do it for us and like i said we will draw a winner at the end of the resident evil arc speaking of which episode three will come at you in just a couple of weeks where we will give our thoughts on resident evil 8 village by that point we will both have probably played through it and have finished it. If we do have spoilers, we'll definitely note it in the audio and we'll dive more into the lore of the Resident Evil universe. How's that sound, Sean? I think that sounds wonderful and I can't wait. Honestly, like I'm excited to get back to playing the game as soon as we're done here. I can't wait to get playing myself. I'm almost done with my playthrough of seven. I kind of lagged behind and didn't finish it right when eight came out, but I'm probably two sessions away from finishing it. So you're close i should be playing a within a week before we sign off we want to thank ashley o for her amazing brilliant voiceover work you can find her anywhere online just google go ashley o so thank you again so much for joining us i'm sergio i'm sean be kind to others and to yourself keep up the chatter with your favorite fleeting fanatics by following us on twitter at hyperfixatedpod. And for a list of all social media links, check out the show notes or visit linktree forward slash hyperfixated. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe on iTunes, follow on Spotify, or find us anywhere else you get your podcasts. And if you really like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And finally, don't forget to tell all your coworkers, friends, and family to listen, especially grandmas. 
We love grandmas. We just think they're neat.